Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 97 of Control the Controllables. And this one's a fun one. You know, I I had this idea a few weeks ago and I thought, I'm going to reach out to, to all of these guys and see if they'll come on and create a panel to preview the 2021 Australian Open. It took a little bit of doing getting them together because our guests were at all parts of the world. But to introduce them, we've got former players, Xavier Melisse, number 19 at the in the world at his highest, uh, a massive character. He's been on the podcast before. And he really does put a smile on my face, and I know that he will with you guys as well. We have former player and current Billie Jean King captain for GB, Anne Kjothavong. And saying her name has not been easy for me after she ripped it out of me when I had her on the podcast a few weeks ago. Anne was as high as 48 in the World WTA, and again has some great insights to offer. And then we had current players. We've got Naomi Brody, 76 in the world at her highest. She hasn't been on the podcast yet, but we do have a WhatsApp group. And all of the guys on the WhatsApp group have been saying she has to come on. And I've almost broken it down, so watch out for her in the next few weeks. And then last but not least, Freddie Nielsen, 2012 Wimbledon doubles champion with Johnny Murray. The first podcast that we did, episode number one, and boy can he talk, but boy does he talk some sense, and it was such a great chat, I asked for 20 minutes of their time, they gave me much more, you guys are going to hear fun stories, you're going to hear insightful stories, you're going to hear predictions, and you're going to hear lots more, so sit back and enjoy, and I'm going to pass you over to the Australian Open panel. So a big welcome to a, a big panel of ex-tennis players, current tennis players around the world to discuss the Australian Open. And starting with you, Mr. Nielsen, uh, maybe you can let us know a little bit about the current situation in Melbourne that we're hearing about right now. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, wild at the moment because... Uh... We're not being kept in the loop that much. And a lot of the information that's been giving people see online on social media before they, they get it from official um, uh, communication. So it's a little bit, people don't really know what's happening. So uh, I don't know if people know, but today we found out there was one case with one of the hotel workers from one of the quarantine hotels, which put all the people that were in that hotel into another round of testing and isolation until... They all received their negative tests, so that pretty much cancelled today and uh, postponed play to tomorrow. So there'll be a pretty wild order of play tomorrow where they, uh, on top of that, promised rain. So that's going to be an, an interesting day of tennis tomorrow. 
Uh, apart from that, I think the vibe is pretty cool here. Uh, people seem happy to be playing this tournament and happy to to have uh, completed the quarantine. Um, the quarantine was uh, uh, had a somewhat rocky start with a lack of communication, but other than that, it went pretty fine. Uh, they took decent, pretty good care of us and made sure that we we had as good as possible. And now everybody's happy to be out and ready to compete. And uh, yeah, apart from a few masks here and there, it feels like uh, any other Australian Open. Basically, there's a few rules to to limit the, the the spread of people. For example, there's always a lounge area in the start of the uh, by the entrance of the gym where people hang out and watch tennis and, and banter, basically. And that's gone. And coaches can't go into the locker rooms anymore. And you have to wear a mask when you get treatment. But apart from that, it's it's pretty similar to how it's always been. Yeah, because it seems, and you mentioned it there, that the the mood seems very good or did seem very good until the last 24 hours in Australia. And I think all of us are quite jealous, actually, because, you know, seeing stadiums full of people, seeing restaurants with people in, you know, seeing a relatively normal life. But but this ability to adapt. And Anne, I guess, from a coaching standpoint... How how are you gonna? How would you play that with the players? That you know you, you're playing one day, you're not playing another day. You're in the hotel for two days. How how do you keep your players in in a good state of mind? Good question. <laughs> um, you know, I think you've just got to remember everyone's in the same boat. You know, you may feel it's it's not easy, it's not ideal preparation, but it's not ideal preparation for um, your opponent either. Um, and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's difficult times for so many people um, and the fact that they all have an opportunity to compete um, on the biggest stage is still something to be grateful for. So, you know, as, as difficult as it may seem, um, perspective, uh, well, maintaining perspective uh, throughout, well, not just this week, next week, but over the next few months, because I don't see how things are going to get any easier wherever they go for their next tournament. Um, regardless of Australia. So, you know, it, it is what it is. And Xavier, it's almost like a, it would be the perfect time for you, didn't you? You used to quarantine for two weeks before tournaments anyway, didn't you? So this would be the perfect time for a talented Xavier Melise. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, no, it's tough, the situation. I always, but I wonder on the quarantine, if, uh, Freddie, if you guys do tests and stuff, for a day and then you can play again, don't you? I mean, it usually takes three or four days for the virus to show up and stuff. So how are they going to do that with with all that stuff going on? Yeah, it's a good question because during the quarantine, we were tested every day. So so they were pretty, they were very strict. I mean, it was to, to the point where it was, okay, of course, it's a cheap, it's a, a cheap price to pay to get to play the tournament, but some of it may, didn't really make sense. Like, okay, there's a hand sanitation station and then you go outdoors for 20 meters without touching anything. And then there's another hand sanitation station and there's people around and you couldn't okay. pass things. I, if I had to give something to my partner's room in the hotel, couldn't do it. People couldn't, I mean, and the first day I was in the hotel, they, they pushed the wrong floor for the elevator. I didn't know where to go. It was the first day and they were really uptight. And the guy pushing the button, he was really just, frantically pushing the wrong button and then when I got into the elevator he put took me off on the wrong floor and when I got out on that floor the guy just looked at me and screamed stop don't move don't move and talked into his head said we have a tennis player on floor one we have a tennis player on floor one 
So they were really, 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 really careful. So I'm sure this thing is just an abundance of of caution. I heard that the the one the the, the one co-worker they they already had a negative test from the 19 of the 20 people that have been deemed in close contact. So hopefully it's it's going to be a formality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because uh, I want, like I said, if you you know in Belgium or what, I guess everywhere you take the test, but you know um, you can have it and not show any signs or you know if you test one day and then you'll play tomorrow, you could still be vulnerable tomorrow. You know, I mean, doesn't mean yeah. because you're negative one day that the next day. So I guess well, at some point you have to let you play otherwise it's not going to happen at all i guess exactly and it's it, they're very strict down here there was one case in perth the other day and there was a five-day lockdown of the entire city the, the the really interesting or interesting i don't for lack of better word is if one of those 500 tests come back positive you know what then yeah so i think, yeah. I think we're all just hoping that they're all going to come back negative because we can't really picture the ramifications of one positive test and I think the big, the big talk and points being around the the hard quarantine, you know, that was that was tough. You obviously fourteen days. We saw all sorts of things flying around on social media. And I guess from a player's point of view, Naomi, what what are the big dangers? Because what we're seeing right now, actually, results seem to be pretty good for the guys that win the hard quarantine. But I guess as you go into the tournament, what what are the big dangers for the players that we have to watch out for? I think at the start, it was a lot of panic for players because we're used to not even almost taking one day off. So I think a lot of players, after having done pre-season, were worried they were going to lose all of the work they'd just put in, you know, all the fitness yeah. gains they'd made and um, if they'd got their eye in or they'd worked on new shots, whatever. But as you say, I think sometimes as tennis players, we we get a bit caught up and we, we think we're going to forget how to play tennis after two weeks. So I think yeah. this has showed that people could maybe take a few days off sometimes. It's going to be good for their bodies, but... I think now the worry would be maybe if people are going to get injured, if they're going into like now after games have been cancelled today, they're potentially going to have to double up tomorrow after not having done anything for two weeks. Um, so they might start getting little niggles or injuries or stuff like that. But um, it looked like they were taken really well care of. They all had a lot of fitness equipment, um, even if it took a few days to get it delivered and set up and stuff. By the end of the two weeks, they had, you know, exercise bikes or weights or and they were all being really creative as we saw on their Instagrams and stuff. So um, I, I think they managed to stay on top of it and keep kind of the core level of their fitness going for, throughout the two weeks. So On the calls they were saying, and just a few uh, rules, can, can people with medicine balls in the rooms, please not throw it against the walls and in the <laughs> floors of people that are about to sleep at midnight. So apparently people are just throwing balls around in the room for midnight. all hours a day. <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine it's very different to having to quarantine in Tunisia futures, you know, for five or six days. That's for sure. Well, I'm in South, I'm in South Africa at the moment. Um, and after we're, so we're here, there's two men's challenges and there's two women's 25Ks. And we can't go back to the UK from South Africa at the moment because they're about to introduce the 10-day hotel quarantine. So we obviously wouldn't get any fitness equipment and stuff there. So um, I think a lot of the players are trying to work out potentially go flying into Egypt, into Sham to maybe play a Futures, trying to maybe fly into Tunisia to play a Futures, just to, you know, find, find a way to get out of the red list countries that are currently on the red list. That's for the UK. Obviously, every country is different and not everybody that's here is British. So everybody's got different situations, but just trying to do the best. And then 
yeah, I, I think it's like Anne said, you need to keep perspective because although these players had this two week quarantine and, you know, some of them weren't sure that that's what they would have to do for, you know, they, they were very well looked after and they were given a lot of treatment and the hotel was paid for. And I know at, at the lower end of the tournaments that we're currently playing, that's not the case for us either. But it's we've all made the decision to travel and that, you know, so that that's the consequence of, of us currently traveling. I heard a little side story this morning on Tunisia, actually, because I've got some players at the academy looking to go. And they did a a test because they, obviously the testing equipment in a country like Tunisia is not like we're used to in the UK or, you know, the, the develop, more developed countries. So they went into a really small little village in Tunisia and they tested about 100 people and 95 of them were positive. <laughs> And it's like, yeah. so, so these, the, 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 I guess the danger of these type of countries that, that tennis players are going to be going into, it might seem like the numbers aren't that high, but it's not that. It's just that they don't have the testing equipment to do it. And, and, and uh, I guess whether that adds value to the conversation or not, I don't know. But it just, it certainly seems like, and Anne said it earlier, we're going to be in this for the, for the long haul, I think. And, and I guess just so we're not depressing all the listeners with just COVID-19 <laughs> chats, you know, we've got, you know, four fantastic tennis players and I know some of you are doing other things now, but when, on this podcast, everyone's talked about Australian Open. Nearly everyone has said the Australian Open is their favourite tournament. Nearly everyone has. You know, so what, what is so special about the Australian Open and what, and what are some of your best memories? And Anne, if you can start us off with that. I was just looking at Javier actually on the screen. <laughs> I, was looking, I was hoping you were going to go to him first, and he was going to share. Um, I'm going to let him. Story. I'm going to let. I'm going to let him reminisce for a while, <laughs> and, until he gets his favourite story. <laughs> yeah, but to be perfectly honest, um, at the start of my career, Australia wasn't my favourite tournament. The Australian Open wasn't my favourite tournament. It wasn't. Um, my favorite place to travel to far from it um i always used to think my goodness it's so far away from the uk you know should anything happen it's going to take me forever to get back home and i i genuinely thought apologies to all the australians and fans of them but i thought it was overrated but uh, towards the end of my career i i you know you, you see each year you go back you see the improvements um on site the um craig tiley's done a fantastic job um, the player facilities have just improved so much. It's just night and day um, what they've managed to achieve over the years. Um, and, um, you know, yeah, towards the end of my career, I really enjoyed traveling to Australia. And over the last few years, traveling there as captain of the, uh, the Fed Cup team um, and seeing the differences and seeing how well they treat not just the players, the coaches, but event staff. Um, it's something I think all tournaments kind of aspire to. But uh, yeah, my favourite, I don't know, favourite thing, probably just coming out of the, the British winter and, and getting some sun in January. <laughs> I think that's what excites most. I think most European um, players uh, enjoy that more than anything. Yeah. Xavier, come on. You must you must have thought of a good story by now. <laughs> <laughs> good stories, yes. But once again, off the court, because to be honest... I never played really well in Australia. I mean, my favorite one, I'm not going to lie, and I said that too the last time was, I mean, I loved Wimbledon. Um, but Australia was just, I think the way the fans are, the way they they perceive sports, I think Australian Open is always the one 
that was first to change things for the players. They started with the facilities. Then they were always open to discussion to change first with the prize money. Um, so I think that's why a lot of players liked it also. But it was just the vibe was good. I mean, honestly, I never played very good. I think my best was third round. And then I got my ass whooped by a Federer. So that was fun at the end. But, um, you know, it was just the fans. They understand the sport. They're quiet. They're nice. They're into it. There's so much going on for fans there too in the village and all that stuff. Uh, the facilities, like Anne said, were amazing. Even practice in the back and indoors if it was raining a little bit. They, they have a great setup. So it's very easy, you know. And then the city of Melbourne was very nice. So, I mean, I enjoyed Australia. Like, you know, getting there was very hard. Um, but uh, not everybody came from British winters. Some people were in Florida. So that's nice. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was, it, I liked it, but not for the right reason because I never played very well. I couldn't, I didn't have, um, a rhythm yet then it was just a good place you know like you say it was summer everybody involved and it was just uh i enjoyed it but my match just never went uh, the good way yeah and, and you say about the the rhythm because obviously the start of the year i think different people look at that in different ways so again we had jez green on on the podcast talking about how every year it was his favorite time of year because he knew that Andy Murray was going to be in perfect shape. He knew that he had control over the kind of four, five, six, seven weeks beforehand. Whereas once the, the year starts, you lose a bit of that control because you don't know how many matches people are going to play, injuries, things like that. So the, the playing matches is difficult, but the control of getting your body and mind in the right place. I don't know how you found that, Naomi, at the start of the year when you've been to Australia. Have you seen it from the point of view of, great, I'm going there, I'm in fantastic shape, I'm ready to hit the ground running, or has it felt like uh, I need a few matches under my belt before I get going? Um, I think I would always take advantage of other players being rusty. Because yeah. my game never has much rhythm anyway. Um, so so I always tend to do reasonably well. I always tend to start the year in Auckland. There's a women's tournament there, which is, I think it's one of the longest flights in the world, Dubai to Auckland. And it, it's seriously a very, very long way away. Um, and my least favourite thing is probably the same. You often miss Christmas, you have to leave early. And I, I love family time. So for me, that's probably the downside of it. But um I love Melbourne as well because it, it's like in the city. You can you can walk from the train at the Melbourne trans, uh, train station down onto the tennis. So it's it's not like a US Open or anything when you're sat on the bus for an hour or whatever. You, you're literally right in the city already. And and it's so fun. And you get um, what are they called the Aussies that come in the yellow shirts and they're like the support team. I think I think they started with like Hewitt, but then they've yeah. continued on now and they come out with Nick and with Ash Barty and the finesse yes they're, they're such good fun and they get the chance going and and they're not necessarily like tennis fans they're just there to bring energy and just to have a great fun day out and and I love I love when tennis attracts people that aren't typical tennis fans they're just there to enjoy sport and have fun just attracting any fans around the world right now would be good you know but that <laughs> have you have you seen it Freddie is that have they started coming out of the other fans at the stadium and you're starting to feel the vibe a little bit over there a little bit, but to be honest, it's pretty empty. Uh, you wouldn't yeah. get the feeling that people are, especially when you go to the outside courts. Okay. Uh, yesterday with the with the Greece and Australia match, there was a little bit more going. But to be honest, it, it feels pretty empty. 
is it is it limited capacity is it, what yes. are they letting in is it 50 percent 25 i don't think 25. i think it's 25 and it's separated into three different areas so if you buy a ticket to one area you can't go between the areas so oh interesting it's uh yeah so it's it, it to be honest it feels pretty empty one of my favorite memories freddie was uh, I've actually only ever been to the Australian Open once and n- not to any level that you guys did and, and went as a coach. And oh, you took a title home as a coach. Yeah, so I think you do remember what happened. So, you know, my Naomi, your brother, and Josh Ward Hibbert won the doubles won the doubles there. I was I was I was thinking when I was thinking was that with Leo? Yeah, so 2012. But also Freddie, you qualified in the singles. Yeah, it's the only main draw I've ever played in the slam, so it was also a, a good It was tournament. your presence, Dan. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then, well, actually, I was going to go with Freddie, but he actually dumped me like a couple of weeks before. He was like, yeah, we're going to go over that. <laughs> and some, some, some dude came along that obviously had a bit more knowledge than me. And he said, actually, I think I'm going to go with this Patrick guy. So that's all right, Freddie. I see how it is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you, you do, I think, and as, as a player and as a coach, where you have success is where you tend to be drawn to as well and talking of success i know that you're not british freddie and you're not british xavier but i'm sure you can still give us some of your thoughts on the brits and i have to start with fran jones and i have to bring you in Anne, on this because i don't know fran personally but you know watching from afar what a fantastic story that seems to be and hopefully one that's going to continue to grow as well yeah, she's um, you know she's a fantastic role model. Um, I think it's been well documented uh, in the UK anyway. Of um, I'm now racking my brains as to what the the medical term is. Can you help me out? She was born with a rare genetic condition, but I, I absolutely can't pronounce it. She has three fingers and one thumb on each hand, so she's she's missing a finger from each hand. One foot, she has three toes, oh, and one okay. foot, she now has I'm four toes. To a young girl was was a very good junior. You know, did very well. Trained out in Spain for for many years, but just got an incredible attitude. Will not complain about it at all. Um, and has and has gone on, and she's she's qualified. You know, wow. in, in into the main draw. Uh, you know, she a, won a, last round like love and one as well, didn't she? Very very easily. You know, and and but but when you hear her talk, it's like yeah yeah that's. That's me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go on and do more. You know, it really is a fantastic story. She doesn't want to be defined yeah, by yeah, that. She, she uh, so so during the training of the of the of the quarantine, you tend to stay with the same kind of people around you, and we we train quite a lot next to her. And I was uh, I read a lot of British papers, so I was reading up on her story and was practicing next to her. And the kind of stuff that I like to look at is. You know what's her training like how's her communication with her coach like and she seemed just on it and she had very good communication with the coach they seemed like they had a good collaboration and uh, she was always giving it uh, with maximum effort maximum effort in the gym uh, she was also like small things on the chats she's not afraid to participate in the chats even though there's 500 players on it and I think that speaks for a, for a fairly uh, good mentality and somebody who's who's pretty much at peace with herself and doesn't feel like it's overwhelming to be at a slam with all these other players for the first time. So I think it bodes well for the future for her. Yeah, she'll absolutely thrive um, in that environment. She, I mean, she's only 20 years of age, but she is very self-assured, very confident. Um, she's very intelligent, speaks incredibly well. 
Um, and, you know, she, over the past year, she's improved so much. She's been based out in Spain since she was a kid. But she, the biggest thing for me, the first time I saw her last year was actually right before Christmas at the Battle of the Brits, um, where you were Naomi competing as well. Um, and I hadn't seen her for a year up until then. Well, the first thing that struck me was that, well, you're, you're in such good shape now. Because um, that was always a bit of a struggle as, you know, from as as it is for most teenagers, trying to get yourself into the best possible shape. Lockdown was good for her. She um, had time to address those issues and um, the results she's had since have obviously, um, yeah, paid off. All that hard work has been worth it. And she, you know, she's, she's someone who's going to maximise her talents, you know, knowing, I don't know her that well, but knowing what I do know, yeah, she, she's intense and, um, yeah, she's a great fighter on the court and that's what you want to see from a player. Yeah, that tournament, she played an incredible match against Heather, didn't she, Anne? Was that was that on the yeah. final day? I think. I believe so. Yeah. I think it was the and final day. She's not day intimidated. She's not, is she? And and I thought that that was shown by Aussie Open was her first Grand Slam she's ever been in, and to win last round, Qualies Love and One. That's just no fear, is it? You're walking on the court there with no nerves because last round you you know you maybe see some upsets or yeah cl- close matches. A lot of people yeah. getting tight. It's such a big moment, especially at twenty. But to, to win Love and One, I, I thought that was really impressive. Really impressive. And if we if we move up, move on to the men's side, I'd love to get your opinion on him, Xavier. Is is Dan Evans? You know, what's your opinion on him as a tennis player? Can he take it to the next step and start getting to semi-finals of slams? I mean, I think he's taken it to the next level a little bit because I've known him. You know, I played him when he first came on the tour, and he had a wild card in Queens. And uh, I was injured at the time, and um, I, I asked for a wild card in Wimbledon, and I played him in the first round, and the wild card was going to go between him and I, and he totally messed it up in the biggest way, but not tennis-wise. Um, it was his first time on the big stage, so it, was, it wasn't a, a real match, but it, I think he's changed his attitude, and that's where, that's where it changed big time. Because when I played him, he was, you know, then we all know can be crazy i mean i i'm not the one to speak sometimes <laughs> but you know um you know what i mean but i've seen him because i traveled with uh, lloyd harris a little bit about a year and a half two years ago and i he was there too and that's that for me his tennis was always there he's got good hands he knows what to do but his attitude changed and that's where it starts because if you don't change your attitude you can be as good as you want it's not going to happen so he can definitely take it to the next level. I think physically he's gotten stronger. Mentally he's a lot better. It's just a matter of can you do it at the, on the big stage in the big matches. And he's a, he's now a yoga teacher. I'm hearing Freddie. I heard he was teaching all the all the British guys yoga during the quarantine. <laughs> oh, okay. I would not have guessed that. Uh, many things that he was for the other guys. A yoga teacher is not one, but good for him then. Yeah, no, he cer- he certainly has, and and the other the other Brit is probably obviously the the Brit that we all talk about and have talked about for years and years, and now we're talking about him not being in Australia after going through everything that he's gone through the last few years, and then on the last day before he's about to get on the aeroplane to Australia, he te- he tests positive for for COVID. 
you know, what do you, what's your take, Freddie, from the outside on on Sir Andy Murray and whether we're ever going to see him back competing to a high level at slams? When you say a high level, I assume you mean the latter end of slams? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think I pers- four rounds. I personally, I would love it if it happened, but I personally don't think that it will happen with what he's gone through physically and whatnot. It's just too difficult. The fact that he's gotten where he is now is unbelievably impressive. I think he'll still be a challenge uh, for everybody in the world to play. But I still think that seven matches of best of five sets is just, it's too daunting for his body at the moment. And I just feel that in the modern tennis, he lacks a little bit of firepower. And and he and, and with the, all the, the what he's gone through, his his physical ability can only get him so far now, and uh, and I think it's it's too much to ask of him, but I think he'll still be a presence in top hundred. He will he'll still be competitive in the two fifties, maybe even the five hundred here and there, maybe a little bit on grass, but but slams I think is just physically too unrealistic with what he's gone through. What makes him tick, Naomi? You're you're his mixed doubles partner, aren't you? From Battle of the Brits. <laughs> What's what? Why is he still doing it? What's his what's his real driver? I think he's just the ultimate competitor. If he wants to do something, he'll work however hard he needs to work to do it. Look at what he had to do to become world number one when he was playing back to back weeks, Olympics straight onto Cincinnati to overtake Djokovic, and I, I think that's what wore his body out was that run that big push for him to get to world number one. It was just ridiculous. He won so many tournaments that year and literally back-to-back weeks constantly. But um, I I think he just loves the game as well. And I pray, hope and pray, and and do think that he'll stay quite involved in British tennis. He's very close with a lot of the guys and the girls. He's, you know, he constantly knows exactly where everyone's playing. He'll, we've still got our group chat from Battle of the Brits and he'll pop up and say congrats to someone who's like winning first round in Charm or, you know, he, he's just on it. He just knows what's going on in British tennis and he loves it and likes to support everyone and help people out. And yeah, he, he wasn't a very good doubles partner there. <laughs> Did he let you down? But I will just add in, I, I think he's still, I don't think he has to be competitive for the slams to to still be playing. I don't think you have to always live up to your former reputation. And I think what he's doing is pretty impressive in his own and he can be inspiring in that way. And you ask yeah. what t- makes him tick. I, I actually think that stuff like this makes him tick. Hearing people write him off, I, I think that that's <laughs> he's trying to inspire him, Freddie. I'm, I'm going to take. He's coming after you, Freddie. I think he's going to win another three Wimbledon's, Andy. If you're listening, man, I think you got three Wimbledon's. But from what I can read in interviews and stuff, like doctors that have written him off, I think he likes to 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 prove people that they're wrong. And and yeah. uh, and show them that he's that he's made of something more, and and he's already done that and more. But I mean, I'm very impressed by it. But it, it's still, like I said, it's the reality of the game is that it's just so tough. I just I think, I think it was a really tough blow, wasn't it, for him not playing this year at Australia? Though I think um, I'll be interested to see how he bounces back the rest of this year because he put in so much work and he was really playing well at the last Battle of the Brits event, the singles tournament just before Christmas. Um, he had a great match against Cam, against Evo. So we'll see. I think I think he's going to have to play. Is is he going to drop all the way down to challengers? I don't I don't know if he wants to play matches. I guess there's not going to be many many tournaments available for him to play if he's now he's not able to play in Australia. Well, that's what I, all I would say on that is maybe and obviously he's 
he's very good as all top athletes are at reframing situations and actually yeah. sitting on an airplane 24 hours spending 14 days in a hotel room maybe playing a match and then going back in your hotel room for another two or three days and maybe wasting five or six weeks where let's be honest he might have played two matches in those six weeks Maybe if he gets himself, and I saw that he had entered a challenger event somewhere in the next couple of weeks, he goes and plays a couple of challengers. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it works out that he's then in a better place for, let's be honest. I think the, the exciting one that we all want to see him do well at is, is Wimbledon, you know, and imagine if he could come into Wimbledon, you know, hot in form, take out, take out Roger on the center court. And even if it was just, even I think just in, for that one match, I think he deserves, and I think the British public want to see that one magic match at Wimbledon again. You know, I, I think in reality, and I'm with you, seven matches, best of five sets is very difficult for him. But let, let's have that magic match. So let, let's see how that goes. And, and, and Anne, to bring you in on, on Joe Conta, semi-finalist in 2016 at the Aussie Open. Um, when she gets hot, she gets hot. How do you see her looking and her chances going into Australia? Um, you know, like a lot of the other players who are um, already down under, um, you know, she she has uh, an equal shot at it. Um, I think in the women's game, it, it's very tough to pick just one player um, who could perhaps be lifting that trophy at the end of the the tournament. Um, you know, during the she's been working hard. Um, she reunited um, back with uh, her coach, um, who doesn't isn't actually in Australia, um, but. Um, you know, I think she's in a good place um, physically. I think that's probably the biggest challenge for her, not just now in Australia, but um, this year looking after her knee, which has um, given her all sorts of uh, problems um, in recent years. Um, and just managing her time um, as best as possible. You know, you've got a lot of downtime um, out there at the moment. So just, uh, I think the biggest challenge for, for her and all the other players is remaining sane. And who, Naomi, who, who's your pick for the women's title this year? Is Andrescu playing? She seems to win whenever she's fit to play. So I guess she's a good, <laughs> a good bet. Otherwise, maybe Osaka. I'd love Serena. I'm desperate for Serena. If Serena and Andy could win Wimbledon at the same time, you know, that would just make me the happiest person. But I'm not sure if that will happen. But And what's um, stopping Serena? What's stopping Serena, Freddie, from, from your side of things? You know, you're big on the mental side of the game. Is it that she wants to do it so much? It almost feels like she wants, she's got this thing that she wants to win a Grand Slam as a mum. And it almost feels like she's added an extra 5, 10, 15% of pressure on herself because of that. Well, she already won one as, as uh, being pregnant, which is pretty marvelous as, as it is. But uh, I think it's more about the numbers record. I don't think it's so much as being a mom, but maybe because she, I'm pretty terrible with the stats and this stuff, but I think she's going to either equal or beat the Steffi Graf's record of, of slams. I think, it's, I think it's Margaret Court. I think it's Margaret, Margaret Court. Court. 24, yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's more about that. I think I think what she does well is that she always seems to be playing to her ability so in the sense that uh, she never i don't think she ever underperforms compared to what level she has so she always kind of plays to that level and many times she's had injuries and and, and illnesses and whatnot that have, have uh, made her play at a lower level mentally i think she's the best 
of the women out there. She thinks she's going to win every single match that she's going into. And I think she always performs at the best of her level. But I think her challenge is that her level is maybe not as it used to be, where she would just blow people out, out of the water immediately. However, here in Australia, the conditions are pretty fast. And, uh, and I think that could help her because she'll get probably a few more free points on her serve and she can shorten the rallies a little bit. It, it'll, be diff- it'll be more difficult to change the contact point of, the, of, of where she hits the ball and this kind of stuff. So I think the conditions are pretty good for her here. And historically, she's done well. So uh, she, she, was, she did mention in an interview she was injured co- coming into the tournament. So there'll be some, some question marks regarding that. But mentally, I, I think she's as good as she can be. I think it's, uh, yeah, whether she's fit and wh- whether her, her level is, is good enough to go through seven matches. So who's your pick, Freddie? Women's, Women's Australian Open champion 2021. I mean, it's, it's either going to, it's going to be one of the hard hitters. Pick anyone in the draw. Yes, I think it's going to be one of the hard hitters. It could be Serena, Kvitova, Osaka, but uh, for, I think I'm going to, I'm going to say Osaka. I think it personally, I think it's impossible to pick a winner when, you know, you haven't seen uh, a lot of the players um, compete in recent months. Um, you know, it's, it's not not the same as it as it was. Um, yeah, you've got so little to go on and on the men's side as well. And I love all of your great excuses for not for not picking the winner, but <laughs> put your name on the line. Don't give me all that nonsense. <laughs> Who's your name? Uh, ask, ask, ask Javier first. Javier, come, come on. What are you going for? Women's uh, Australian Open champion. Women's. I'm going to go with Osaka also. I think she looks fit. And she has a Belgian coach, which always helps. Not really. But, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I like her style of play. If she gets confident and gets some stuff, she's, she's, she's a good one to win it, I think. Yeah, she's, she's who's everyone, everyone's, she's the next Serena. Fearing, yeah, exactly. That's the yeah. WTA putting, putting everything on Osaka. It's whether she can handle the pressure, I think, of being there. Nobody's mentioned last year's winner, winner Sophia Kenning. No, I Sophia's don't think always she a dark horse. But she, but she oh, yeah. beats a lot of people that you wouldn't expect. She comes up with these wins from nowhere. She makes so many balls. And when, when you're under pressure in big moments, I think um, I think that's how she won the slam. She just puts so many balls in the court and then you're trying to overplay. And But yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting how, I, I her, think, how her future career goes. I think you're absolutely right. It's difficult to predict because she can be so good, but at the same time, she can be so bad. Like, it's very strange for me to imagine in that she made final of French and she lost yeah. love and love in Rome. Um, like guys, just I, just I, let's I, not I, get away from this. Anne's not given her shout yet. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for Halep. I mean, quite frankly, it could be a num you know, could be about 30 different players, but I'm going Halep. I'm gonna have to mm. move you along that we've we've all got a, a shout. I know that Xavier's got a tea time in a in a few minutes, so let's yeah. let's <laughs> let's move to the men's priorities in life and and Xavier let's be honest nobody can win it other than Novak can they uh I mean everybody can as they always say but I mean it's tough I mean it's a machine you know when he gets I think if you want to beat him it's in the early rounds like they always say but that's exactly what it is I mean physically a guy doesn't miss he's strong mentally and then again you know grand slams three out of five 
that's where it's i mean you can win maybe one or two sets but to win three that's tough i mean he's gonna have to have a very bad day against a, a very good opponent otherwise i don't see anybody else but djokovic um you don't think yeah. like medvedev or rublev or any of the younger guys could come i mean yeah they'll get well. close but i don't think they'll win you know like i said three out of five two out of three then i would say yeah definitely but i just don't feel you know like city pass and all those yeah they they'll you know this guy plays one level from the first ball to the to the last and i think the other guys are still a bit too young and too up and down i mean there's a lot of, you know 80 percent up but that 20 percent down or 10 percent even is what's going to make him lose against guys like uh, Djokovic. Yeah, but Dominic Thiem is not young. He's 28 this year. And people <laughs> keep saying that he's young. He's 28 this year, and I believe he's beaten Novak maybe four out the last five times. So is he not Is he not the favourite, Freddie? In my opinion, the conditions are too fast for him here. Uh, I might be proven wrong, of course, but I just feel that the ball skits too much through. He's obviously a great player and great players can never really be kept down with conditions. But I just feel that the way some of these guys strike the ball, uh, it's going to be too tough for him uh, against uh, some of the big hitters, some of the big servers and some of the flat flat and hard hitting guys. I, th- I think you could also see that he struggled a lot against Berrettini in the, in the ATP Cup. Um, he made the final last year, yes. Uh, and what I said, you can't keep good players down and he's made unbelievable progress on the hard courts. He's playing much closer to the baseline. But I still think that there are other guys that I would uh, I would put on before him. And Rafael Nadal has won 20 Grand Slams and we haven't even mentioned him yet. <laughs> but he, <laughs> it is it is 12 years since he won an Australian Open. So what do you reckon, Anne? Is 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 Rafa Rafa your man for the title? No, I mean I before Freddie said what he said about team, I was gonna just pick team just for someone other than Djokovic, but now he's put me off and now I, I'm kind of stumbling. <laughs> and also Dominic Team's coach isn't isn't there. Nicholas Masu didn't make the trip. And I know players are players, but it, you take that coach away and I do think it can have a one two percent difference which come which which we all know these grand slams come down to a couple of points. So the time now you're going to put your name, going to put your money where your mouth is. Xavier, who's your who's your men's 2021 Australian Open champion? Uh, it's got to be Djokovic. I know it's cliche, but got to go with Djokovic. And that's that's it for me, guys. I got a tea time, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, I lose my spot. You get out there, man. You know, Freddie, you understand. <laughs> Make sure you join us afterwards. I can't even practice. Just remember right. to scream Thanks four, for otherwise it's dangerous. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Thanks, Xavier. Have a good game. Hey, good luck, Freddie. Everybody. Yeah, Naomi, thanks, everybody. Bro. See you guys. See you later, man. Naomi, where's your where's your money? I think if I'm putting money on it, you have to go for Djokovic, don't you? But I'd love to see one of like the naughty ones do quite well. I love watching them. I'd love the to naughty see naughty ones. Do well. Who are the naughty ones? Yeah, just the characters <laughs> rather than the naughty ones. You know, Rublev. Uh, Medvedev, Nick, um, and especially Nick with an Aussie crowd. I'm going to be interested because I feel like since the last Australian Open, you know, he got very involved with the wildfires, raising funds for them and 
you know, he's been quite outspoken on not wanting to travel during the pandemic. So I'm going to be interested to see if the Aussie crowd are reacting any differently to him or if he'll still be kind of the bad boy of, I don't know if he'll ever not be the bad boy of Aussie tennis, really, but... Um, well, he started, to, he started already yesterday with... Uh, with That's Vincent, true. So. <laughs> that is very true. He doesn't look fit, though, I don't think. That's his, that's his problem. Again, if we talk about... We talk about Andy who, you know, to play seven best of five set matches over two weeks. And Andy works as hard as Andy does, and that's been unfortunate. But I think Kyrgios's unfitness comes probably from different ways than, than Andy's does. But I just find it so hard to see how mentally and, and physically he can do that over seven matches. Yeah, I don't, I don't I, think I he's kinda... in a position to win the slam. I'd just like him to like him to create a few upsets and provide us with some great entertainment. I completely agree with you, Naomi. I also think it would be great. I would love to see him do go deep, but I just feel, you know, no matter how much talent you have, if you're he hasn't played since Acapulco, it's just, it's yeah. a lot to expect of somebody who hasn't played matches for that long. And he's looked rusty in his first two matches against, on paper, not that daunting opponents. But he's yeah. also the guy who likes to rise to the occasion. So I would also like to see him well. And just to defend him, I think he could deal with it however he wants. I actually think he was right yesterday in his complaint. So I think he was right. I don't think he dealt with the complaint in the best way. And I That's that a different case. Yeah, who that's, who that never, I agree with. Who but. never deals with things in the right way. I never do that myself <laughs> either. But, but I, I agree with you. I think he was right in his complaint, but he didn't handle it right. That's a very good way of putting it. And who, who's your winner? Uh, who's my winner? Well, it's, I don't know, for, for everyone, I think it's hard to bet against Djokovic. I'm going to go for Medvedev. That's a bit left field, isn't Ooh. it? The match I do want to see is Novak against Kyrgios. The sooner, the better. Mm. <laughs> yes. And how good is Kyrgios for the game? And I know even like yesterday... And, and I'm with you guys. Look, he was right. He absolutely was. He was stood up at the line and it was on two seconds. It's, it's not the way that you necessarily want someone to, to talk to another human being. But at the same time, he does bring our eyes to the game. You know, and we're talking about this, the match we want to see. You know, it's been built up and that's entertainment. You know, boxers have done it for years. You know, lots of different people in different sports have done it for years. They they build it up so that it's absolute, absolute showbiz out there. And yeah, let's look at that draw, which is now coming out tomorrow. Kyrgios, Kyrgios Djokovic first round would be an absolute humdinger, wouldn't it? I think he gets a whole different generation of players involved and interested in tennis as well. You know, so many countries around the world, it's still viewed to be quite an upper class boring if you like for some people sport and I think Nick you know he, he brings that like street side of it to tennis he comes on court with his baggy shorts like they're you know halfway down to his knees he's got like you know he he openly says I don't really like tennis he, he, he's just got that attitude almost like a young Agassi but obviously Agassi wasn't quite as extreme as Nick but he was you know he was just this rebel and he had this long hair and a bandana and denim shorts on and Nick Nick just brings that different side that I think tennis needs sometimes. Go on, go on, uh, just to add to that, the way I see tennis is also it's. I like to see it as a, as a personal expression. You know, you how do you interpret the sport? And we're being told how to behave so much. And and I disagree with a lot of ways he handles the things, but I can appreciate the fact that it's his personal interpretation of how to perform the sport and what he sees. And, and I think that's only good. The world works great yeah. in contrast. If everybody's professional and boring and says the same thing. 
like I, I turn off the interviews at the end or before the match because they're all going to say the same things. But I listen to what Curious would say because you, you never really know. And I, I would watch a match with Curious anytime because you never really know what's going to happen. And I, I can appreciate his interpretation of the game, definitely. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I agree with you there, Freddie. I just... Um... Yeah, I just feel for the umpire, and particularly if it's my brother in the chair in this match. But otherwise, yeah. uh, you know, I'm there courtside with my popcorn. <laughs> he, he's a big boy, James. He can handle it. He can handle it. The, but I have two more questions. My my penultimate question: Who are who are the outsiders? So people listening to this podcast, they know Serena Williams, they know Naomi Osaka, they know Novak Djokovic. But give us some names that you guys as tennis people know that are maybe maybe not going to win, but they're going to... I often think Australia is exciting because we normally get one or two new names at the start of the year that tend to go quite deep. And when I say deep, I'm talking about fourth round, quarterfinal. Give, give, us, give us a couple of names to watch out for, Anne. I've got homeschooling starting in the background. But, you know... <laughs> Sviontek is a French Open champion, but she's still not a name that people really um, associate with, with tennis. Um, and I feel like she's someone to, to watch out for, not just at this year's Australian Open, but um, you know, over the next few years, I really do think she, can, she has everything to become a real star of the game. You know, there are a lot of young players coming through. Um, Rybakina as well, who um, I enjoy watching. No, I was just saying that that's a great name to come out with. She was so impressive, Svantec, in the French Open. So, yeah, I, I think she's definitely a name to look out for. Again, Andrescu, I know she's already won a slam, but uh, as I said, she she didn't play for so long before coming into the, the slam. That, was it US Open that she won? Yeah. Andrescu. Um, she hadn't played for, for ages yeah. coming into it, and she just comes in and seems to win. So, for her, I think for her career going forward, it's going to be about if she's able to stay injury-free, because she seems to have been plagued by quite a lot of them already, considering that she's so young. But um, And then, of course, Coco Goff, she's always going to be of interest now. She's doing so well while she's so young. Um, yeah, no, I, I was go on, just going to say, because you guys uh, picked dark horses that have already won Grand Slams, I think that's pretty conservative. But uh, <laughs> yeah. if, if we really yeah. go dark horse, I'm, uh, I, I was going to say Goff as well, because I really like her game. And I think she's got per fantastic charisma and personality and would be great for the game. But a really dark horse that I think is a baller is, is McNally. I think she's playing unbelievable yes. ball. And I'm, I'm just waiting for her to break through because she, she, I think she can do a lot of things that we don't see that often in women's <laughs> tennis. And I think she's really cool to watch. And? Maria Sakari. Uh, I'm a big fan. Um, you know, she, she's very physical, um, but she, she's got great game and uh, I really love her attitude. I've, I've enjoyed seeing how she's progressed um, over the years. Um, you know, she's grown in maturity and handles herself really well out there and has a british tennis coach yes tom hill um also also sabalenka i don't know why we're not talking about sabalenka she's yeah having yeah. so many matches agree so with yeah, you sabalenka is yeah. a great dark horse i have one to put in there that's a proper dark horse none of this like won a grand slam almost won a grand sabalenka slam hasn't won a slam <laughs> She's won big tournaments. Come on. We, we she's, she's already, <laughs> she hasn't lost, and, she hasn't lost for however and long. And that, that's Kostjuk. Marta Kostjuk. I think she is a one within the next 18 months we're going to be seriously talking about 
gone gone deep into slams. And you know, she's only 18 years old. She kind of came through what a couple of years ago, I think, and then it's kind of had to find a place a little bit. But it feels as if she's also a one to watch. She likes Australia. I and think she, she also she she won you. I thought she won juniors there. She's won I the think jun- she won juniors there, yeah. And I think yeah. the third round when she was 16 as well. So, oh, wow. so I think I think also from what I've seen, I haven't seen her much, but I think you're right. She's really good, but she seems a little, still a little erratic mentally to be able to compete for the title, but definitely one to watch. You, you guys didn't listen to the question. I didn't say who was going to win the title. I said fourth round, fourth round sort of area, you know. And and what about? Who cares about fourth round? We want to win. What about what about? <laughs> I, I I get the feeling there's more dark horses. I mean, we just kept. I mean, for those listening, like everyone was putting their hands up on our on our Zoom call here. You know, you can see the excitement in people's faces there that everyone kept on coming up with names. I, I'm not sure. If I just want to, at one point, he goes one again. point for the women's tennis, <laughs> I think it's very exciting if you're a women's player because uh, I think it's more open with the women be, uh, in these days than it has been in many years. And I think it's got to be very encouraging for all the girls to see that girls like uh, Kanan and Swantik won the slams last year because it just proves that it, it, there is this opportunity and there is this moment in, in women's tennis where there seems to be a little bit of changing of the guard that it is that it is possible for a so-called dark horse to, to win. So I think in that sense, it's, it's, it must be encouraging for all the girls that are taking part this year. And any dark horses on the men's side, Freddie, for us to look out for? Yeah, I mean, I think it's more difficult than the men's side to, for, for, the, for the lower-ranked guys to go through. I think we'll have to, to, to expect it from, from one of the top 10 guys. One guy I'm, I really have been impressed by of late is, is Tsitsipas. At, at first, I wasn't too convinced about his credentials, but now I think he's he's got a different sort of mentality and character uh, that, that, that will get him really, really far. And I'm just waiting for him to kind of find the next gear, win the slam. So, so, so there's that. Outside, I, th- I think it's a matter of one of the Canadians all of a sudden clicking, Felix or, or Chapeau. Yeah. Uh, for them to do well because they have unbelievable game. They have such big potential, and 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 I think it needs to be one of those guys now uh, that can that can sort of hit through Djokovic. I don't think there's many people that can out rally Djokovic, so I think you need to to be able to out hit him. Uh, who who has more potential there. between Chapeau and Felix? Game wise, I think Chapeau has. I mean, he's, the lefty plays a big part. His serve is brutal. His natural power is just ridiculous. I played him when he was 16, a bit of 17, and I, and I had to play his own volley and everything because I was shanking every ground shot because it was so fast. <laughs> and then I played Felix as well at, at 16, and I felt the game was more, I could, the, the tempo wasn't good, but his mentality was next level. I felt I was the young one, which I usually feel no matter who I play because I have a fragile mentality, but... His attitude was just next level. I think Chapeau is a little erratic still in his game and his shot selection and his his mentality, but but his game is so good. Whereas Felix, I think he still lacks a little bit of natural power in the game and and and, and the leftiness and the serve of Chapeau gives him a little bit of the edge, but it's a really close close call. I wouldn't be surprised if they got to one and two, those two. For me, it's Sinner for the dark horse on the men's. He's... His yeah, ball strike, especially off his forehand, is unreal. I was hitting at US Open last year. Um, I was only there for commentary. We were hitting on the indoor courts and 
about three courts down from us I said to I said to him I think I was on court with Matt Reed I said who's that like assuming he was here for juniors but he looked too good to be in juniors but he looked too young to be in main draw and they were like oh that sinner like whatever he's you know they were laughing because Liam had apparently said Liam had tweeted something about he'd definitely be top 100 by the end of the year and everyone was like well Liam he's already like 150 so it's, you've not made like the most out there call <laughs> um, but yeah I, I think I think he's amazing he's yeah he's, his ball strikes unreal I think there have been a few videos of him on social media because he's been hit with Nadal and stuff but his movement his ball strike especially on the forehand side I think he's definitely one to watch but with Sinner with Sinner it's amazing how quick that's happened because you know, we're talking about, it was, well, it'll be two years now, but it was two years ago in, in Tunisia. You know, I was there for the Futures and Sinner was maybe 17 at the time. And I scouted him. He played a British guy called Luke Johnson in the first round. And Luke was 5-2 up in the third set. And Sinner came back and won 7-5. So that meant my player, Evan Hoyt, was playing Sinner in the next round. And I was like, you've got this in the back I mean his forehand's dodgy it was like that was like and, and genuinely oh, no, no 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 no. but genuinely Evan just went all over his forehand and won three and three okay and and I, and I thought this kid's decent and, and actually the one thing that impressed me was he was always on the practice court always and like very very detailed you know always there always doing his warm-ups so, or you know he had a he had a kind of aura around him around that no no word and of a he lie was probably 12 years old as well no time. but no word of a lie you can and people can check this the the following week or the, or, or the following 10 days he made final of a challenger and that's when he started his run so we're not talking i think he might even have won it yeah so and that was the following week and he just went on this like unbelievable run from from that tournament and it just shows if you get your you get your stuff together at the right time, you know you're taking care of your business, and and that takes me into the next one because at, at Rafa Nadal's Academy at 2020, only a year ago, I saw a young Spanish kid who was 16 at the time, and and he stood out like a sore thumb, like on the practice court, and his name was Carlos Alcaraz, who actually. Yesterday, people might have seen, took out David Goffin, three and three in the event. He's, he's qualified for Aussie Open. And he would be my dark horse. Not, not talking about going on to win the tournament, but I think we're talking about the next top 10, top 20 player in the world that's going to be coming through in the next 18 months. Because he's born in 2003, which is scary. <laughs> yeah, he's unbelievable. And, wasn't and even, wasn't even around to see all those clocks stop. All the clock stopped for the millennium. He wasn't even yeah. around. Crazy. <laughs> no, and, and Goffin said that he, he basically just hit the ball too hard for him, that he couldn't keep up with the pace. And this is also a guy who was in a hard quarantine, didn't hit the ball for two weeks. And uh, and I think you're absolutely right. I, I was I was going to mention him as special honorable mention because it really is interesting when you have that younger guy. <laughs> we know him a little bit in Denmark because he's the same age as our big talent, Holger, who yeah. I know you had, uh, you interviewed for the podcast as well. Uh, so, so they've kind of been the rivals coming out throughout, and it's really interesting to see uh, how he's going to be doing uh, against these guys. And if he just outpowers Goffin already on a fast court, I, I think most of the people were talking about because his results has mainly been on clay on the on the main circuit circuit, and now he's he's doing it here against the best guys in the world on a 
fairly fast hardcore. I don't think we'll see many faster hardcores during the year. And he demolishes that pretty much bodes well for his future that he's already con uh, comfortable enough. And on top of that, I think he's got really good people around him. Now, Juan Carlos Ferrero is is very much in his corner. And actually, it was Juan Carlos was last year. He, Juan Carlos said to me, and you won't see him go to many 15,000 Futures events. Juan Carlos Ferreira sat on his, he, he put his own chair behind the court, nobody else watching it with his big coat on. And, and I got chatting to him and he said, no, no, his level is already top 100 in the world. And that was, that was when he was 16. Um, he, Juan Carlos has massive, massive belief in him and is quite yeah, about that business. Well, yeah, exactly. He doesn't, certainly on a hard court, he knows nothing. Uh, guys, that has <laughs> been, that has been the best 20 minute chat I've ever had. Um, I really appreciate it. I, I know that I promised you it wouldn't be that long. My my last question is, will you join me after the Aussie Open to give a little review to see if any of us were actually right in what we've said today? We've thrown enough names out there. Someone has to be right. <laughs> that's also, that's also <laughs> we've, true. We've, na we've named about 30 people. <laughs> Maybe I'll be one of your free transfers in fantasy football and be substituted for somebody else. Who knows? I'm going to take that as three yeses. Uh, if I promise Xavier a free round of golf when he comes to Spain next, he'll be in as well. Uh, you've all been brilliant. Thank you for your time. And yeah, good Thanks luck, Freddie, in Australia. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Dan. And Naomi, yeah, good luck in Dan. South Africa. Thank you kindly. Thank you, guys. Yeah, good luck to both of you. A big thank you to all of the guys for coming on. Uh, we had Freddie Nielsen from his hotel room in Melbourne, his little baby asleep in the other room. We had Anne from her homeschooling in London, and I don't know if you picked it up, but she literally was helping her daughter as she was speaking. And then a big shout out, out to Naomi, who just arrived in South Africa yesterday to play the 25Ks out there. And then last but not least... Our professional golfer, Xavier Melis, he was on an iPad in a car on the way to the golf course. And I apologize that he had to leave a little bit early. But in fairness to Xavier, he did tell me I've got 45 minutes and I promised him it wouldn't be any longer than that. I think he gave us 50 minutes and then he had to head off to the course. Uh, but yeah, what a, what a fun chat. And I have to also mention Mark Hilton, who was actually our fifth panellist, but he had Wi-Fi issues in Egypt. So we really were getting people from all corners of the globe. But Mark did send a message and say, make sure everyone knows that his pick for the men's title is Medvedev. So it's on record when we get them back for the review show, we'll see who was right. And he said to watch out for Shapovalov and also the Aussie Demonua. So those are two guys that he sees. And obviously after working with Dan Evans for so long, he's got some pretty good insight. For what it's worth, my picks, I'm pretty boring on this one. I fancy it to be a Djokovic-Serena Williams double. And I can see Serena getting her 24th. I have to give a shout out to Maria Sakari, who, who, like I said, when I spoke to Tom Hill 
a few days ago. She really is my favourite female player right now and I can see her pushing for a slam very soon. And her Greek counterpart, Stefano Tsitsipas, I also see him maybe making a final. It's going to be an exciting Australian Open. We couldn't have asked for better guests to come and get us prepared for Monday Back in the Grand Slam world, 25% of the of the stadiums are going to be full. And it's a great bit of hope for all of us in the tennis world that we're getting back on our feet. Enjoy. Make sure you're staying up all night watching the matches. I know that I will be and we'll be back in touch soon. But till the next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables.